Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Mintel, the Relationship Doctor, and I'm here along with my co-host, Chris Weigel. And every weekend we're here, we're doing life together, and as always, we're so glad you joined us. Oh, that's my turn. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Linda, I was stuck doing nothing, completely <laughs> stopped, froze up in my tracks. And we're going to talk about that later. We are going to. Nice intro, Chris. Now, nobody's going to understand it at this point. Yeah, right now they're saying, what are they talking about? Right. Me? Well, today we asked Dr. Norm Mental to join our conversation. He is a leadership expert with a PhD in organizational leadership. And Dr. Norm has held executive leadership positions in both academia and media organizations for more than 30 years. And most recently, he began to write a blog on leadership issues on medium.com. So we thought a third person who has experience with leaders would be a great person to add to the show today. And as it turns out, we kind of know who he is. That's right. You know? he, he helps us every day. He, but... And he's kind of your husband. That's right. Kind <laughs> Wait, of. don't give everything away. Good grief, guys. Come That's... on. You always have me hidden away in the booth, so it's hard for me to feel like I'm a real part of this. So Except you're thank you. thank yelling you. comments to well, us. Well, I try to inject appropriate uh, <laughs> moments. Yes. That's right. So maybe after this show, we can say, all right, Dr. Norm, let's go over this program and see what you didn't do right. We've heard that before, yes, too, Dr. Norm. Yes, we Based on all that's going on in our culture today, we decided to do a show on a, one of your blogs that you had recently. It's um, titled, When Good People Do Nothing. Yes, Linda and I have had a variety of conversations on this topic. How should we respond when we see mistreatment or crime or injustice or more? And good grief, you see it every night on television. It's so easy in today's world to just ignore it, to do the proverbial hide your head in the sand kind mm. of thing. And not care about other people, but only pay attention to yourself and no one else. And, you know, you hear people say, hey, look, I'm not getting involved or this isn't my problem. And I think people are afraid of the consequences mm. or that they will uh, they'll, they'll be targeted for taking a stand. Yes, I think so. Well, we've certainly seen that. But here's a quote from Sir Edmund Burke. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. That hurts. Yeah, that was the inspiration for the blog I wrote. Mm. When someone is mistreated, and we're seeing that a lot on television news, like Norm said, or they're ridiculed, we really do need to ask ourselves, you know, what should I do? What do I actually do? And do I take action? Do I stand up for that person? See, I've thought about this at work. Do you just cringe when there's an off-color joke or, uh, and, and say nothing? Or am I willing to confront a racist remark? And for family people, good grief, what do we tell our kids? How do we prepare them for life? Do you tell them to tolerate a bully or do they confront the bully? Do you hit the bully or do you turn the other cheek? So, Norm, do you remember a long time ago when we did an interview at our children's school, uh, we talked about the swarm. Do you remember that as a tactic for bullying? Basically what it is is you swarm the bully and then you put pressure on the bully to stop. So, you know, is that one of the things that works? We're raising these questions because a lot of us are thinking, what is our role when we see all these bad and terrible things happening? Especially what's our role as people of faith? Do we have some type of responsibility to actually do something? Or is it okay to sit back and just be passive about it and not do anything? Well, Dr. Linda, in your blog, uh, you wrote about something called the bystander effect. Let's let's talk about that. So this was so interesting to me because I didn't know a whole lot in this area. But, you know, a bystander is someone who witnesses a problem and then either does nothing, just watches, or they actually get involved in that. 
So there was this case a, a number of years ago in New York City. A young woman was mugged, and the bystanders were watching this, and they did not intervene. They just recorded the whole event on their phones. They had a chance to stop the mugging when they went back and they looked at this, but they chose to do nothing. And that's kind of scary to me. That type of really passive behavior is referred to as the bystander effect. And we see that every day on the news because you can't get away with anything these days because someone's got their phone out. But this goes way back. I'm married to the psychologist here, so we checked it out. And actually, this concept came when it was first introduced in the psychological world in 1964. It had to do with the case of a young woman then named Kitty Genovese. That's right. The story is that on March 13, 1964, 28-year-old Kitty was returning home from work, and as she approached her apartment entrance, she was attacked and stabbed by a man later identified as Winston Mosley. And, you know, as I read that case, despite her repeated calls for help, none of the dozen or so people in the nearby apartment building who heard her cries called the police to report the incident. And the attack began around 3.20 in the morning, but it was not until about 3.50 a.m. that someone first contacted the police. And because it's so long ago and there weren't phones back there to record anything, her case has really been subjected to so many misinterpretations, misrepresentations, probably a lot of inaccuracies. But we know that this goes on now routinely. But you know, guys, the idea of this bystander effect and the bystander doing nothing isn't new. Good grief. Jesus used it as a parable in the book of Luke. And you know what I'm talking about, right? The Good Samaritan. The context for the story was this. An expert in the law asked Jesus, how could he inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind. And by the way, you love your neighbor as yourself. And then the law expert asked, who is my neighbor? And that's how Jesus gave him the parable to answer the question, who is your neighbor? And this story is how we came up with Good Samaritan Laws. Yes, that's right. That's where they came from. The Good Samaritan Laws offer you limited protection, though, if you attempt to help a person in distress. So this might include, you know, helping someone who is experiencing chest pains or fell and hit their head on the sidewalk. You know, you you see this, you think, well, what do I need to do? I need to act. Good Samaritan laws are written to encourage any bystander to really get involved in these type of situations and other emergency situations without fearing that somehow they will be sued if their actions inadvertently contribute to a person's injury or death. So we looked up the Good Samaritan laws around the country and were surprised that they're different from state to state. In Alabama, Their law only extends to trained rescuers and public education employees unless the emergency is a cardiac arrest. And by the way, who knows that on the spot? Right. (laughs) At which point anybody can get involved. (laughs) Right. Who's going to remember that? That is way too specific. And and, and listen to this. A bystander in California who witnessed a car accident pulled the victim from the vehicle out of concern that the car would catch fire. He was later sued by the victim, who was left permanently paralyzed. Yeah, but then here's the part of the story. Then the bystander countersued Mm -hmm. and won the lawsuit, but the decision was later reversed (laughs) by an appeals court that ruled she didn't provide medical assistance. I've heard people say that I would like to jump in and help in an emergency situation, but I'm afraid that I would get sued for doing something wrong. Yeah, so the California laws, they've since changed those, probably because of cases like this, Mm -hmm. and they include providing non-medical assistance at the scene of an emergency, so you don't have to be so afraid. So here's the question, do you have to give assistance? Well, again, that depends. A bystander cannot be held liable 
for not providing assistance. However, there are lots of exceptions. So we have a lot of listeners that are in Minnesota because Faith Radio is based in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Well, in Vermont, Minnesota and Rhode Island, you are required to act in some limited capacity. So that is the law. You have to do something. In Canada, if you're a resident of Quebec, you can also face legal consequences for not giving aid. So this means you need to know your state laws. Yeah, but I think there's a bigger question here that we should consider. As Christians, are you actually compelled to do something? How can we as believers watch someone in need and not do anything? Oh, great. Now we get convicted on this program. That's that right. It seems like it happens a lot around here. <laughs> it, <you know>? does. <laughs> it does. But actually, we do need to be proactive and do something right now. We need to take a quick break. More on the conversation, our topic, When Good People Do Nothing, coming up. Conflict is a part of every healthy relationship. How you deal with conflict is what will either grow or destroy relationships. Do you avoid? Maybe you become highly emotional and then regret what you said or did. Getting control of our emotions is not always easy, but it is possible. Hi, this is Dr. Linda Mintel, and I wrote the book, We Need to Talk, in order to help all of us deal better with conflict. We Need to Talk, available at bookstores and online where books are sold. Welcome back to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show, and today we are talking about when good people do nothing. And we've got a lot more to talk about, but before we move on, I want to remind you to check out Dr. Linda's website, drlindamental.com. That's where you'll find her blogs, books, and you can connect on social media. Her latest book, co-authored by physician James Cribbs, is Living Beyond Pain, a book to help anyone deal with chronic pain. And Dr. Linda's husband, Dr. Norm Mental, is joining us today, and we encourage you to check out his new leadership blog on medium.com, or follow him on Twitter at Mental Norm and listen to and share our podcast on iTunes anywhere. You know, I am the only one on the show who doesn't have a blog these, <laughs> these <maybe>. days. <laughs> well, we talk about you on Instagram a lot, and I do put up a lot of pictures of you on Instagram. Yeah, but we also yeah. just talk about you a lot, too. Oh, that happens. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, true. True. Yeah, that's true. I give people lots to talk about. That's, that's right. Too much fodder. You're a right? good subject. <laughs> well, Dr. Linda, today we're talking about when good people do nothing, and our topic It really relates to your recent book, Living Beyond Pain. It does, because Dr. Cribbs, who is a physician, and I were very involved in helping people during what we've been calling the opioid crisis or the opioid epidemic, which is still a problem, by the way. And and there's so many people during the pandemic who are losing hope and were overdosing. And so we know that all of this is still problematic. And we didn't feel like we could just sit back and do nothing. So we know that there are a number of people listening even now who are in chronic pain and they need some type of different type of help. So we used our expertise and we did the research on what works and what doesn't work. And we wrote this book to really help people. We decided to do something tangible to help with the opioid epidemic, not sit back and be passive. What I love about this book, though, Dr. Linda, <clears throat> my dear. <laughs> he, has call, he has to call me doctor. That's right. That's right. Is that there really are a whole lot of people in our world who don't understand how to deal with pain without medicine. So right. I know this book is helping people certainly become aware of options. So the point is you did something tangible instead of just sitting back and hoping maybe someone else would write the book That's and, right. and address this. That's exactly what we did. Well, before the break, we were talking about bystanders getting involved when they see a problem or an injustice. And Dr. Linda, why don't more people jump in and help when they're uh, in a crowd? Don't you think it's fear? 
I do think a lot of people are afraid, whether it's real fear or it's perceived fear. You know, if you confront a situation, you fear you might maybe lose your job. So you were talking about at work. Maybe you see something or you hear an off-color joke and you say something. Maybe you're afraid that you'll be written up or your boss will get upset. Maybe you'll be afraid, you're afraid that you'll be attacked. We're seeing that in the Mm -hmm. news constantly where someone takes a position or a stand on an issue and then they're attacked physically even at times out in front of their house or somewhere else. You know, a lot of people are afraid they just won't be liked. So there is also a fear of retaliation that people have. See, I think that fear is real because when something happens where you feel like here comes a confrontation, the first thing you say is, oh, great. And but then you feel mm-hmm. your anxiety level go through the ceiling and hopefully the situation is resolved and it doesn't escalate. Well, other times when someone doesn't act, it might be that they simply just don't know what to do. So have you ever had that feeling mm. when you've seen something happen or the event happened so quickly it was over before you even had a time to react? When something like that happens and it is traumatic, your body does go into what we call a freeze response. So you might just be frozen and you don't think or you don't act. That does happen. I think it does. And in fact, it often happens probably and maybe more often when the situation is ambiguous, Mm -hmm. meaning you're not quite sure what is happening, what's going on, who's attacking whom, who's the good guy, the bad guy Mm -hmm. from your perspective. And you then look to other bystanders and, and you're trying to figure out how I should act, if I should act, based on their reactions. If they're passive, most likely you will be too. A couple of summers ago, I drove up on a head-on collision, and I was like the second car there. The guy in front of me was already running towards the vehicles, and I came right up on it. And I remember the thought process of, oh, great, now what do I do? How bad is this? Should I get out? Should I call 911? What should happen? But that all probably happened in a microsecond. Well, so you did get up and just act, and your instinct was just to do it. Well, on my way to the car, I called 911 and got up there and realized everyone was okay, but it was um, it was pretty rough. So, yeah, but... Back to what I said, your anxiety level just goes way high during that type of thing. Well, there there were two researchers that really looked at this whole thing about, you know, bystanders. And they they found that most people do care about the person, you know, if there's a situation that's really problematic like that, like an accident, like Mm -hmm. you just said, Chris. Nevertheless, less often they don't offer their help. That's because... They have to make these really quick decisions in their head, and there's actually five steps that they've come up with. So the first thing is you have to notice. Hmm. You had to notice the accident, right? You had to see it on the side of the road. Yeah, I couldn't miss it, yeah. Right. But you have to actually notice that there's a problem. In an emergency, it's easier. Sometimes when there's something going on on the streets or something, you're really not as sure. I think the next thing is what we were talking about earlier is you have to then begin to interpret it. And your brain is rushing and there's this adrenaline rush as Chris was saying how quickly can you react to these sort of things can I decide (laughs) what I'm seeing and if it needs my intervention and you have to make a quick decision but in that case that we talked about of Kitty Genovese is that how you said her name many of the 38 witnesses reported that they believed that they were just witnessing a lover's quarrel and they didn't realize that this woman was actually being murdered Here's a good example. Remember when the the jet hit the Twin Towers and we were watching yes. it on TV? Mm-hmm. We didn't believe it was real. We thought it was a movie or a trailer for a new movie. Our brains couldn't comprehend. Yeah. My, my first thought when I saw that was the pilot had a heart attack right. and lost control of the plane and flew into the tower until I saw the second one. But there's another step, a third step that the researchers found was that it involves responsibility. And that's probably the 
most critical decision point in this whole process. You have to decide if you're going to take personal responsibility to act. I was on a college campus once walking by this car and there were a couple in the car and she all of a sudden she, she sort of screamed and said, oh, help, help, help. And, you know, you immediately say, oh, great. Now I've got to get involved. Turns out they were just goofing off. Oh, but okay. for a second, I thought, oh, no, we have a real problem here. So the decision to react is a tough one. Some people would have just walked away from that and said, it's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the decision to act and then the final step is action. You either do something or you walk away from it. And I think what we're seeing a lot more in our culture is people just pulling out their phones mm. and not doing much. You actually have to make a decision to pull out your phone. That's true. That's true. Wasn't one of the five steps. No, but they happen so quickly that there's really no time to wait. And if you wait too long, it's too late. Okay, so here's the thing about crowds. When I was looking at this research, the greater number of people present, the less likely it is that someone is going to help. Oh, someone else will take care of it. Right. That's exactly right. It's not my responsibility. Why should I? Someone else can do it. And the presence of everyone else is actually holding you back. Researchers call this diffused responsibility. It's often seen in the workplace, too. You might know at work that this idea of diffused responsibility is, let's take an example. There's a new worker who you think is being mistreated. Maybe they're being overworked or underpaid. They're being harassed. Maybe you think somebody else has already noticed and is taking care of it. And if that's the case, you're off the hook and you don't do anything. Well, and let's think about this one. If you're driving down the road and you notice that there's a small fire on the side of the road. I've seen this before. Mm-hmm. You know, I, sometimes I think a farmer's burning something in a field. You might think to yourself, well, that seems dangerous. However, you notice that there's a dozen or hundreds of other drivers who have seen this. They're just driving past the fire, right? So you're thinking in your head, well, surely someone else is going to call the fire department. Maybe somebody already has, and you decide not to report it, and you just drive on. The thinking is, with so many people aware, someone else is bound to take responsibility. Or with so many people around, I would never be held accountable Hmm. for my inaction. What do you say about that before we go to the break? Is that good thinking then? Well, people feel the need to behave in a correct and socially acceptable way a lot of times. Mm. So when other people that are observing don't do anything, then you start to think, oh, this is a signal that a response is not needed or it's not appropriate. No one else is doing anything, so why should I, like we were saying? Mm. And a crisis, like we mentioned also, is often chaotic and the situation is not always crystal clear. So onlookers might wonder exactly what is happening and during those moments, people you know, look around to see what other people in the group are doing. And that's how we decide what's appropriate. And when they see that no one else is reacting, it really does send a signal that perhaps no action is needed. And of course, there are other factors involved too. If certain members of the group don't like that person or hold a negative idea or a discriminatory position, mm. they're probably going to have a question in their mind about whether or not they should do anything at all. But you know, when we don't act as a bystander, the person that is experiencing the injustice can really feel betrayed and can get very hurt by that. And when betrayal happens, then you don't trust and you feel unsafe. This is why it is so important to intervene and not become paralyzed during those times. So how do we move ourselves toward the action, especially when group size may deter us and and make us not want to? Something very simple. If you make eye contact, Hmm. when an individual makes a connection with the person struggling, they're, they're looking right at them, they're much more likely to help that person. Uh, This may be a moment of eye contact, 
Maybe you perceive some kind of similarity between yourself and the person who's struggling or the person who's calling out the individual specifically. <laughs> that would make me act if someone said, right, hey, you, yeah. it was pointing at me and you know, was saying, come here, give me some help. So a good strategy then is to target an individual mm -hmm. in the crowd. This is if I need help. Look at them and say, make eye contact with someone saying, I'm struggling, I need you to help me. Or you could do it in the crowd. You could look at someone else. Haven't you seen those in movies where people look at the other person like, you going to move? You're going to move? Mm. I'm going to do it. You're going to do I something see. with me? You're kind of oh, nodding to each it. other? Yes. This is one of the cues that you need in the crowd. Right. And that's when you step in and you become a leader. So many, I'm sorry, my leadership degree is kicking in suddenly. When other people fail to behave or lead or do something, you do it. Turn to someone else and say, hey, what's going on? Let's help. Let's do something. You remember the famous line from Todd Beamer on the faded plane that crashed in the field? Are you guys ready? Let's roll. He led the charge straight down the aisle of the plane that was headed for D.C. So he and others had to decide not to be passive in that hijacker suicide plot. And their action saved many lives. Makes you wish you could go and say, hey, Todd, thank you. There were a lot of people that really felt like he saved mm. so many other lives because, like Norm said, he had the courage. He right. went ahead and acted. And it was probably scary. Right. So he didn't let wow. fear stop him at that moment. Well, now that we better understand the bystander effect, let's talk about how to prevent it and our duty to do justice when we come back on the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Dr. Linda, one of our listeners asked this question. Sometimes I'm so overcome with worry and anxiety that I, I think I'm losing my mind. Seems I've tried everything from drugs to meditation. Why doesn't anything work? Well, I'm so sorry that your life seems so unmanageable and overwhelming. Too often, though, it does seem nearly impossible to live in peace and contentment because of all the craziness in our world. Did you know that God's plan for handling worry is so simple and yet so perfect that you can begin using it today? Did you know that starting right now, you can begin to cultivate a worry-free life? These aren't pie-in-the-sky promises. They're God's prescription for you to thrive and to soar past your anxiety and worries. Try this. The next time you begin to feel overwhelmed by life's pressures and worry clouds your mind with negative thoughts and depression, say what King David prayed. The Lord is my strength and my shield. Remind yourself that my heart trusts in him and I am helped. I have so much more good news for you. I hope you'll find it in my book, Letting Go of Worry. Thanks, Dr. Linda. Now that's great advice. You can find God's plan for your peace and contentment in Dr. Linda's book, Letting Go of Worry. It's available wherever you buy your books online. You're listening to the Dr. Linda Mental Show, and today's topic is When Good People Do Nothing. And Dr. Linda, before the break, we talked about how the bystander effect leads to doing, well, nothing. Mm -hmm. And there are a few more reasons why people don't always react uh, that we didn't mention yet. So there's something called social loafing. Do you like that term? <laughs> I think I've been guilty of that <laughs> You've before. been social yeah. loafing? Mm -hmm. This is when you feel less motivated to work towards a common goal, and the slackers hide how little they are contributing, so they just loaf and they don't do anything. Right. <laughs> well, there's another one, too, that we see in organizations. People follow orders oftentimes and don't take responsibility for what's going on, even though what the boss has told them is, in their opinion, immoral or maybe against humanity think Nazis in this mm. case, you know, they, they were told to do certain things and they didn't do it. We call that being complicit or fearful of serious consequences if they become the whistleblower. Dr. Linda, are we as humans wired up to be 
passive and non-confrontational? Don't you think it has to do with someone's personality? Because mm. I have no problem calling out the injustice and going forward in there. But I do have friends who are much more shy and they would sit back and they wouldn't take the lead. Right. I think it has a little bit to do with your personality and maybe the way you were raised and you were trained. What specifically can you do or say when you see someone being hurt or an injustice is happening? You know, if you're alone and you see someone doing something wrong, you can yell, hey, what are you doing? Mm. I mean, just call it out. One time I yelled, the police have been called when I thought something wrong was happening. Um, you can also yell something like, hey, that's not cool. You need to stop. Mm. I've told teenagers to say that when they see bullying. That's a good way they can yell it out. And when you do that, it's been shown to be really effective and actually prevents future harm. And if you can do it without getting hurt yourself, right? then you should have the courage to do what you need to do. In fact, in some places, they've adopted a law called duty to rescue, meaning it's a crime if you don't help. That's right. If you're in a crowd and no one is responding, remember, make the eye contact with someone, single the person out, ask them to help you intervene. And remember, when you personalize or individualize the request, it's going to be much more difficult to refuse. Then motivate others to action. Call on their humanity, have a moral backbone, and act on your values. You know, it does take courage to stand on your own and do what is right. But let's get back to our Christian motivation here, shouldn't we, for helping others and taking action? It goes back to what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And remember, love your neighbor just the way you love yourself. Yeah, Jesus is really getting at the heart of a person, not just the law. And he's trying to point to the need for a heart of compassion. He wants us to be empathetic and motivated to care for other people. You know, the very person you would have expected to have shown compassion and stopped to help in the Good Samaritan story didn't do it. He was worried about the person being unclean. That's discrimination. Right. And even more amazing was the one who did get involved and helped the Samaritan because he was from a people group, the Jews, who considered Samaritans horrible, bitter enemies. In fact, Samaritans were so hated that Jews went to great lengths, as proven by the other people, mm. who went around and avoided the guy. And then Jesus makes the hated person the hero of the story. So maybe this is a good lesson and a reminder for us today that we can easily justify not helping certain groups because they're considered our enemy. I mean, I'm thinking about politics and the divide that we're seeing today. Yet Jesus says, everyone, even our enemies, are our neighbors. And Jesus said to love our enemies. And that is just so radical. But it, it gets at the heart of God. He loves all people, even those who crucified him and who are his enemies. So we're challenged to do the same. Our ability to love the unlovely gets to the state of our heart as well. Well, Dr. Linda, uh, we're getting near to the end of the program what else do you get from this story? Well, I found this quote on a website, and I thought it summed it up, that enemies can prove to be neighbors, that compassion has no boundaries, and that judging people on the basis of the religion or ethnicity will leave us dying in a ditch. The message of the Bible is pretty clear. If you see someone being hurt, you should not pass by and do nothing. Compassion should motivate us to figure out ways to help those in need. The story of the Good Samaritan reminds us to take time to notice the needs of others, perhaps inconvenience ourselves to stop and sacrifice our precious time and maybe resources to love our neighbor the way we're called to do as Christians. Scripture tells us that they will know us by our love. Are you known by your love? Well, that's all the time we have today. Many thanks to our producer, Norm Mintel, and our special guest, our engineer and my co-host, Chris Weigel, who makes the show a conversation. 
From all of us here at Faith Radio, we'll talk to you next weekend. In the meantime, remember, we're doing life together, and it's better when you don't have to do it alone. Well, thanks for listening to this conversation from the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. These podcasts are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and helping us grow the impact of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player, and you'll never miss a show.